the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast. We'll help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey in helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment. Welcome everyone to the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Camp. This is the safe haven for former evangelicals, former conservative Christians, anyone who is questioning their faith, church burnouts, spiritual refugees, and the spiritual but not religious. Before we get started with a very cool interview today, I have an announcement. The Spiritual Brew Pub will be getting a new website very soon. And on that website, I'll be promoting my new Freedom Workshops. Now, these will be online and eventually in-person workshops. They'll be about one-hour sessions, uh, and the first one will be the Deconstruction Workshop. It will help people who are in the midst of their spiritual deconstruction and need some support. Attendees will learn that they are not going crazy, they are not alone in their questioning, or their discontent, their fear, and mixed feelings about their faith. What we'll do is we identify what the deconstruction process is all about, the core issues, how history sheds light and reveals facts that can enlighten us, how to use philosophical techniques to make the process easier, and how to find a path forward to reconstruct one's faith or a new philosophy of life. So that workshop will have about six sessions and uh, very excited about this new development. Uh, listen uh, in future podcasts for more announcements about this coming soon. Uh, today we have a very um, uh, insightful and delightful guest with us who has had her own deconstruction experience. Um, Christy Berghoff is an author, a um, common good communications consultant, a contemplative photographer, and our guest here on the podcast, Christy, welcome to the Spiritual Brew Pub. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. Yeah, great. I'm glad you, you're here. And I wanted to give a little background before we get into our conversation. Mm -hmm. Christy's going to talk about, uh, to us about uh, common good communications. And oftentimes in our spiritual uh, deconstruction or spiritual um, uh, discussions, and, also, and of course also in our political discussions, uh, there can be some, uh, uh, some controversial issues and there can be some heated uh, debates. And mm -hmm. she's going to talk about how, how to have good communication in a way that edifies everyone, um, but also helps people to uh, express how they really feel and, and, and the things that they've learned. 
So we're, we're going to get into that in just a moment. Christy, I'm on my uh, new website, and I'm looking at a picture of uh, you and Brian and me and a whole bunch of other people at a picnic table with beers, drinking beer <laughs> mm, yeah. at the Wild Goose Festival. Remember that? <laughs> yes. Oh, of course. <laughs> yes. So we met a few years ago at Wild Goose. I had some great discussions. I was on uh, Brian's podcast on a panel one year, and uh, so I got a little bit of a background, and then... Uh, Christy is uh, an author of a book called Cracking the Pot, Releasing God from the Theologies that Bind Him, which is a great title there. And so um, uh, we are going to get into this conversation. I'm really curious about uh, what common commun good communications is. And but I want to start by asking you what your story is uh, about your own spiritual deconstruction and where you are now in your in your path. Yeah, well, that's a, um, how much time do we have? <laughs> oh, well, long, yeah, you can give us the uh, short, the, the short, short, short to medium yeah, version. No, 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 don't the, go in the long one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you the cliff notes. Um, well, you know, I was raised in um, a very conservative, Republican, white, middle class, um, reformed community. And um, I would say it was somewhat of a bubble because most of the people around me were like me. They thought like me and they believed like me. You know, I went to uh, Christian schools growing up. I was very active in my local church. Um, and, and there were a lot of things that I really, really appreciated. Things that were instilled in me, values like honesty, decency, kindness, empathy, respect, truth, you know, serving your neighbors in need, uh, hard work, and, and being mindful of my words, that they have the power to hurt people, they have the power to heal. Um, there were a lot of really great things, and, and the people in my community were amazing people. They, they reached out when someone uh, was in need. Um, people always stepped up for each other, and so it was a, just a delightful little community to grow up in. But eventually, uh, I studied political science, and I left my little bubble. So I moved to Washington, D.C., where I was working for a Republican member of Congress, and, um, you know, felt like I was kind of doing God's work there on Capitol Hill. Hmm. I but didn't know you worked there. Interesting. I, yeah, I did. And so I, there were two things that kind of hit me at that time in my life, two things that started to crack the door open a little bit to other ways of thinking. Um, the first thing was that, well, I just was no longer living in my very sheltered community. Suddenly I'm in Washington, DC. I'm surrounded by all kinds of socioeconomic diversity. I'm surrounded by different religions, different perspectives, different kinds of human need that I really hadn't seen growing up. And so I was kind of like, how do I respond to this? Well, my, the way I had kind of been thought to think about these things growing up is, for example, if you see poverty in the streets, those people are there because they've made bad choices. It's on mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. You know, they're there because they're lazy or what have you. And after a few months of being in Washington, D.C., 
and kind of just assuming kind of this somewhat callous posture towards these people, I was invited to go on a trip to Israel. And one of my high school teachers had been taking groups of students and church groups there to um, really kind of immerse themselves in the context of the Bible. So really his aim was to not just um, learn about Jesus, but to really study the context, the cultural context, the historical context, the geographical context, and how that impacts the biblical text and how that helps us maybe understand um, what, what was happening in the Bible. So I went and, you know, we looked at all the, the stories, all the stories that I had read and learned about growing up. But this thing happened on the trip where, for me, growing up, faith was very much a thing alive in my head. It was very important to accept a certain set of theological assumptions. That was mm -hmm. just critical to the faith. Mm -hmm. um, and this trip moved all that. It kind of dislodged a lot of things that were very entrenched in me. And so the, the faith and following Jesus became not so much about this thing in my head, but it really did move to my heart, to my hands, to my feet, um, to my flesh, to my bones, you know, just started to impact all of me. And, and, and I came back from that trip and looking at everything around me, looking at the circumstances of people with different eyes, asking questions, you know, why are these people in the streets? Why are there so many people in the streets? There's so many churches around here. What's going on? Um, and so asking a lot of really hard questions and then getting to know some of those people and hearing their stories and realizing how wrong I had it and beginning to see that there are these, um, there are all these systems that are piled on top of people that prevent them from rising out of these really terrible circumstances. And so um, I left Washington and went to seminary because I just didn't know what to do. I didn't mm. feel I could continue working in this congressional office. Um, and so at seminary, I met Brian, my husband, and we went into church planting. Well, um, this same teacher who took me to Israel took us on a trip to Turkey where we studied. Oh, really? um, yeah, we kind of studied some of Paul's missionary journeys and mm -hmm. um, again, uh, seeing these, this biblical narrative in such a different, different way with a different set of eyes began to further kind of crack open that door and led to a lot of questions like really the basic, most fundamental question being, why do I believe the things I believe? Right. And so many people around the world are so sure about the things they believe. So mm -hmm. why do we each come to this place where we believe what we believe? And that led to this journey, um, just peeling back my, my theology, really, going further and further back in time. And when I got to Constantine, as probably, you know, you're familiar with him as well. Yes. And uh -huh. I realized that so much of my theology was shaped um, based on, had political motives behind it. And these mm -hmm. were just some of the fundamental um, things that we believe. 
And, and so that got disturbing. I just, I kept looking, I kept reading and I thought, I can't believe this. I can't believe any of this anymore. I don't mm -hmm. think it's, I don't think it's real. And I got to the point where I thought, I don't even believe this Bible is true. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, eventually I just kind of threw it all out and it was a really horrible time because uh, Brian and I were planting a church. We were starting a church and I was the worship leader okay. and that was <laughs> horrible. I was up okay. there on Sunday morning singing songs to a God I didn't believe existed, okay. um, leading people. It was the most awful feeling. And I, I started, um, you know, coming up with excuses why I can't do it, why I can't be there anymore on Sunday morning, just withdrew from the community. But at the same time, thought, now who is my community going to be? Because right. my whole life, your community, every, all your social stuff is wrapped up in the church. And so it was a really dark, dark time for me. I was very depressed. I was home, you know, alone often. Um, couldn't move some days. Some days I could hardly get out of bed because I just thought, I, do, I just didn't know. And um, eventually I, I started to think about the origins of the universe mm -hmm. and, um, and that really gets your head spinning uh, when you really start to think about those things. And I, and I came to the conclusion, there has to be some kind of God, there has to be something that started this all. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I don't think I want to be part of Christianity and then someone introduced me to Brian McLaren. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And right. they handed me a book of his and said, you know, um, cause I had, I had started to open up to a couple people. There were about two people who knew really that I was going through this. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they handed me a book and said, um, Christianity doesn't have to look like the thing you were handed. Right, right, right. It can, yeah. it can be more expansive, more inclusive, more welcoming. Um, and so I, I read this book. I plowed through it, and then I just which which started, book was it? I'm curious. It was actually his trilogy, the fiction. Oh, okay. Trilogy. All right. Um, one of his earliest, oldest books, and um, plowed through those and started getting more. And then I started emailing Brian McLaren. And, um, and then we connected at one of the first Wild Goose Festivals and he mm -hmm. began kind of mentoring me along. But um, so, yeah, so it was, you know, I just slowly began carefully putting things back together, but with um, much more room for mystery, room for, right. well, Un I don't really know. Uncertainty. Yeah, yeah uncertainty and being right. completely at rest and at peace with that. Right. That's Not kind of needing to nail it down. Like right. know, growing up, we had to just have all this theology nailed down. We were drilled on it. We couldn't give our life to Jesus until we could recite, you know, some of the catechisms. Um, from memory. And so th like these fine theological points were so important growing up and um, to be able to let go and say, you know, I'm going to have room for the spirit to move and to teach. And I think we still have things to learn. Um, and, you know, and 
and gosh, there's so many really rich and beautiful traditions um, of faith out there. I can learn something from them too. Right. So mm-hmm. um, it just became this more open, loving. It became about the spirit of Jesus. It became about trying to live like Jesus in this world rather mm-hmm. than just knowing about Jesus mm-hmm. and knowing very precise things about Jesus. Right, right. Yeah, so, I can relate it's a to continual that. Continual journey, you know, that's yeah. a journey that never ends, as you know. Right. Yeah, I, when I did my uh, my research through that stage, I discovered a lot of uh, Christian traditions I had never known about. You know, uh, the um, the Quakers, the Anabaptists, the Mennonites. Uh, no, not the Mennonites. The um, and uh, now I can't. Uh, they're uh, in, in pen, based in Pennsylvania. Anabaptists um, or no Anabaptists, Anabaptists, and uh, it'll come to me in a minute. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, and and they had these as well as the Eastern Orthodox and the Eastern streams of Christianity. That yeah, never even looked at, and the, and they were very different. They had w- different angles and paradigms to look at things. I just I was yes. really flabbergasted. So yeah. that's very helpful, as well as a study of history. You mentioned some of that. Um, mm-hmm. I certainly uh, relate to a lot of the things that you're saying. Uh, I wanted to kind of pivot a little bit and kind of get a handle on. Um, and, you know, as we have these discussions about whether it's spirituality, Christianity, you know, the differences that we're, we're, we're discovering, people like you and me are discovering and many others. Um, and we're talking with uh, maybe someone who's still deeply in a, a more narrow Christian viewpoint, uh, or it could be political discussions. We've got all kinds of uh, polarizing politics going on. Um, you you promote something called common good communications. Why don't you define what that is for us? Yeah, so um, really with common good communications, there are three points that I really like to focus on. There are three tendencies that we have just because we're humans. Um, One is toxic tribalism. Mm -hmm. The second one is confirmation bias. And then the third being um, a tendency towards binary thinking. Mm -hmm. So I usually when I'm doing my workshops, I have a set of three workshops that kind of move us away from those things um, towards what I think is a more healthy way of um, learning how to live together and how to communicate together. Um, And so, you know, what's funny, Michael, is that when I first started this work, well, eventually Brian and I are church planting journey took us back to Washington, D.C., where I had lived after school, after I got done with college. And I was looking for a job. And this organization on Capitol Hill that works with members of Congress was looking for a consultant to create kind of a help create a curriculum around civil discourse. And at this time, civil discourse is kind of a new thing. No one's really talking about it. So they said, you know, we don't really know. We don't know what the resources are. Just can you figure it out? Um, And so so what we focused on is here are some rules on how to have a conversation. Here are rules for um, productive dialogue, you know, Mm -hmm. things like listening and empathy. And Mm -hmm. but the problem is. What I began to realize the more I did this, and so I helped out with this in Washington, and then when we moved back to Michigan, what I began to realize is um, 
you can't really just give a set of rules because there's this whole inner change that has to happen oh, right. as well as an external mm -hmm. um, way of engaging. And so I really started focusing more on that inner change and transformation that needs to happen. And much of that is just awareness. And so that's when I started focusing less on here are rules for engaging um, civilly to here are some real postures uh, that we need to work on within our hearts and minds and, um, you know, and be transformed so that we can really authentically engage each other in a meaningful way, not just, oh, I'm following these rules. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, yeah. Last last uh, month or a few weeks ago, I had a um, philosopher of uh, a philosopher from the University of Washington on the podcast, and he was talking about civil discourse. And he did he did have some rules in there, you know, like this is you should mm -hmm. listen and so forth. But one of the things he brought up was what he calls philosophical, uh, and I added my uh, my ideas around cognitive cognitive techniques. Mm -hmm where you're, you're basically teaching people in a way to get at their heart. Uh, in other yeah. words, for them to start to say, oh yeah, I, I, I look at things a certain way and I look at people a certain way. Now, if I can put myself actually, not just put myself in their shoes and ask a few questions or you know, mm -hmm. uh, try to look at it a different way, then all of a sudden it opens your eyes and you go, oh, okay, there is a different way of looking at this. Well, let's yes. explore this a little more. So that kind of gives you, so it's not just a hard and fast rule, just do it, yeah. but it's more like, oh, okay, I can see why it's a good reason to do this. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, when we moved back to West Michigan, back to my hometown after 15 years being away, it was so hard to be back in that bubble. And um, there was a time I remember when I was first going through the whole theological deconstruction and what naturally followed the theological reconstructive process was a deconstruction and reconstruction of my politics. Uh -huh, it, yeah. it had to go hand in hand or it didn't make sense. Oh, right. And so, um, so when I began to undergo that transformation, I remember having these conversations on Facebook. I was just so adamant, like, and I, I was so frustrated that people couldn't see it like I did. And I was kind of, I'm sure I was nasty, you know, on Facebook <laughs> and just really out there with my posts. And I'm like, I don't get it. How come no one's hearing me? You know, like I would be so frustrated. No one's hearing, you know, what I have to say about poverty and I, and I can't believe it. And, and then as I got more into this work later, I realized, oh, well, when I was conservative growing up, I never was able to listen to people like me either. There's no way I would have heard what I had to say the way I was saying it and the way I was engaging. Yeah, that's a great point because people are kind of, they're, they're programmed to turn it off. Oh yeah, you're from that. You have that viewpoint. You're from yeah. that position. Then that doesn't make, you know, I, I discount yeah. that right away without even considering it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And and that, it was, and, it was, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say there's, uh, you're talking about, um, you know, you wouldn't, uh, you couldn't figure out why people didn't hear what you were saying. And I was just going to say that what I've discovered is that people are in stages and if they're in that entrenched stage, they're not going to listen right. until something painful or emotional happens in their life. 
and you kind of describe some of the things that happened to you. Um, And then they start to think, okay, maybe I'll be willing to see what this person has to say. But until that happens, you know, it's, it's, you're just uh, banging on a wall. Mm -hmm. That's right. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. You, you, you had a thought there before I, I went off on a tangent. What yeah. Was that? Well, you know, so I, w- and this is another pivotal moment um, for me in this work of common good communications. When I was moving from rules to working at what's going on in the heart, what's going on in the body, what's going on in the brain. Um, we got back here, moved back to Michigan and it was so hard and it was so painful. And I knew exactly how horrible and evil everyone thought I was because like I said, I once looked at people like me mm-hmm. the same way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was horrible, especially as I tend to be kind of a people pleaser. And it just was so awful. You know, there were so many tears and I, so much crying and sleepless nights and why are we here? And we have to leave. I can't, we can't live here. Like we just can't live here. And um, I got a call, or I called Brian McLaren one day because I was so upset and he had kind of been walking us through this journey. And, um, and he said, you know, because people were calling us Satan and, you know, things like oh that. It's really awful things. And um, he said, you know, Christy, it's not about theology and it's not about politics. This is about sociology and psychology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. And, um, and that shifted my thinking. That was like a pivotal moment where I just, I began to look at my work in a new way, um, began to study the, the sociological realities and the psychological realities the neurobiological realities and just, um, you know, try to understand what's really going on beneath the surface, because I think we have to tackle that before we can say, and here's some rules for a meaningful dialogue. Right. Yeah, that's definitely true. Right. Uh, very, very interesting. Um, yeah, there's definitely, yeah, we just get, we get caught up in, you know, the theology and the history and, the, and, and, you know, I, I have the same thing when I'll come up with some historical study and I'll put it out there and, and no one, and, and, or, you know, tell a friend I know who's still in the, in the church or in the conservative church and they won't even, it just kind of goes over their head. They don't even <laughs> acknowledge mm-hmm. it. And it's like, yeah. well, wait a minute, how can you not even, you know, consider this you know oh it must be a lie or you know whatever they do to discount you um but so it it, there's a process that people have to go through and we have to recognize that process Mm -hmm. and it's very difficult like you had some experiences yourself very difficult you're called a heretic or or the evil or whatever and uh and on the other side people are just like reacting to you like how can you do such a thing you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and and so there's a disconnect and so I think part of this common good communication is to try to come to a point where we can find some common ground and acknowledge some common good Mm -hmm. and stay in there for a while and see what happens with with our with our relationships Um, I think one of the things you identified uh, as one of the core root issues is toxic 
tribalism. What tell mm-hmm. us about that? What does that mean? Yeah. So toxic tribalism, it's it's about kind of demonstrating loyalty to your tribe to this point where dogma and dysfunction result in kind of a mob mentality or mob behavior. So like um, toxic tribalism needs an enemy. It mm-hmm. can't just say, these are the things I believe. Mm-hmm. It needs an enemy. So with toxic tribalism, the leaders of my tribe, so mm-hmm. I usually frame this in terms of politics because that's what everyone's talking about these days. So the leaders of my tribe are noble and good mm-hmm. and the, the leaders of the other tribe are evil. Mm-hmm. They're bad. Right. Very black um, and we, white. Yes. Our, our um, tribe has um, absolute truth and these sound moral principles and we have God on our side and we have the correct religion. The other side is heretical and superstitious and um, it's based on lies and evil and corruption. The people in our tribe are good, decent, honest Mm -hmm. people, but then the, the people of the other tribe are savages and backward and awful and they have they're trying to hurt us. And then we have, you know, kind of the, the people on the front lines. I would think of like, um, oh, the newscasters and the, the commentators, you know, the ones on our side are the heroic defenders of the mm-hmm. truth. They're mm-hmm. out there to conquer and get more people to our tribe. But those newscast folks and the, the leaders on the other side are more villainous and they're invading our space and they're trying to kidnap our people. So it's like, just everything is framed in this us versus them. Yeah, us versus them. And it can be on the both conservative and the liberal side. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we have, there's so many examples, Democrats versus Republicans, atheists versus theists, Protestants right. versus Catholics, liberals versus conservative. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's just so many, um, so many examples and so many ways that we do this. And then, you know, if we're moving towards a sense of communal belonging, then we can still be in a tribe. We can still have, but it's not, it's not with a level of toxicity. So um, I can still surround myself with people who believe in the same things, who have the same values as I do, but I don't have to sling mud at the other side. Right. I yeah, can right. say, this is, these are my views, but, um, that's their views and it's okay. We can dialogue because we're all human. You know, mm-hmm. we're human people. We have different perspectives. We can dialogue about it. And so like a, within toxic tribalism, it tends to be more um, homogenous. People are the same. They think the same. They act the same. But if we have a sense of communal belonging, it's more heterogeneous. So there's, there's much more, um, much more of a mix of, of views are welcome. Whereas wow. with toxic tribalism, there's a sense of exclusiveness. If we could move towards communal belonging, we would be more inclusive and say, well, yeah, you can come and share our space. You can be with us. We will listen to your perspective. You know, like, it's just very different. Toxic tribalism tends to have, I think, more of authoritarian leadership, too, mm-hmm. as well. Whereas mm-hmm. communal belonging would um, evoke more of a shared leadership style and you know in toxic tribalism there's more of a mistrust of outsiders and people who think differently whereas if we moved towards communal belonging we are able to welcome and interact with outsiders 
um, in a peaceable way, in a curious way. Um, you know, we want to understand other people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's very difficult to do because our society kind of teaches us to be either, uh, you know, be tribal. Yeah. <laughs> and, absolutely. Uh, and, and, I, and it definitely happens on both sides. I mean, as I got mm-hmm. into progressive liberal Christianity, I, I saw it too. Yeah. You know, it's like, and I, and I'm, one of my goals is to help people realize, hey, look, you know, there are different stages of deconstruction and people, some people aren't, who aren't even in it. Some people are right in the middle of it. Some people who are like where yes. you were, like I've thrown out everything. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, usually the pendulum kind of swings back and there's some kind of a middle area they land in, but it doesn't, sometimes they just become an atheist. So it's just, yeah. um, uh, but we have to accept uh, people in the stages that they're in and remember, at least for up for me and probably yourself, we were in that stage at one point. So let's have some yeah. empathy for that. Right. Yes, and rather than, absolutely. cause you know, we, people don't turn on a dime you right. know, and, right. uh, and we have also a lot in common. I've got a lot of family and friends that are still fundamentalists. So, you know, I, I have to, you know, I interact with them all the time. Uh, but you know, we focus on our common ground and that, that sounds like the common good concept there, but, yeah. um, so, okay. So that's communal yeah. belonging. So, yeah. You know, what, give us an example. How do, how, do you, how do you move from one to the other? I mean, can you cite examples of this? Yeah. You know, I mean, one is kind of what you and I have probably both um, been through. Um, there was a time in my life where I absolutely um, demonized people who didn't think like me. And I did it growing up when I was, when I was very conservative. Mm-hmm. And I did it when I first was like, I'm a liberal and I'm going to let the world know. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, and then moving to this kind of middle space, seeing value in both yeah. um, perspectives and realizing it's not either or. And there's this whole just piece that's moving and swirling in the middle of all these parts and complexities. And um, I'm going to be in that space because... Um, I think it's a more honest space in some ways. And um, if I can unchain myself from um, these kind of labels, then I'm more, my mind is more free to examine my own beliefs, the beliefs of others, um, you know, in kind of a more honest way. Sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the real um, issues I think with, tribalism is that we demonize the other and the demonization of the other leads to dehumanization of the other mm-hmm. that's correct yeah and yeah. that's um that can be a really and, dangerous place to right, be that, yeah and uh, that is uh, kind of the root of uh what i call violent sacrificial religion is oh. is you uh you demonize or dehumanize people and then you can justify uh, on the one extreme violence, but also just, you know, abuse, uh, being condescending, you know, just talking down to people and just being rude, yeah. uh, et cetera. And, and just kind of losing the respect of as someone as a fellow human being. Yeah. Um, so th- another thing that I, I, I saw in your work was, uh, and you mentioned it earlier, you, you compare confirmation bias to authentic curiosity. Why don't, why, don't yeah. you, why don't you share about what that means? 
Yeah. So, you know, one of these, um, it really kind of stems out of tribalism. All of these things are interwoven, but when we have this tribalistic mentality, the way that we look at facts and information and views um, is subject to confirmation bias. And so what that means is um, essentially I see what I want to see. I see the information that affirms what I already believe right. to be true. Mm-hmm. And this is in this is a very real um, neurological uh there is a chemical thing that happens in our brain that literally does not allow us to see all the information when we're so bound up in our views. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So being aware that we, that we do this, uh, is really, really important. And the goal would be to move towards a culture of more authentic curiosity, where we value sharp, critical thinking skills so we can intelligently examine, um, our own perspectives as well as the perspectives of other people and give honest critique to all of those. Mm -hmm. And so if you're, you know, authentic curiosity, it's again, that's an inner shift that has to happen because I have to genuinely want to know what is true rather than um, needing to be right. I have to know what actually is right. And sometimes that means I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to have to say I was wrong. And that's hard for us to do, of course. But um, if we can do that, then it becomes really, I think, impossible to to submit to a toxic tribalism. If you can be authentically curious about all perspectives, including your own, then I think you have to be stepping outside of toxic tribalism. Right. And because you yeah, can't you, demonize them if you're starting to understand them and even value some of what they have to say. Right. Or finding that, flaw with your own views. Right. Yeah. There's an old saying that said, uh, it says, uh, we have seen the enemy and they are partly right. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and then, okay. and that's really, uh, you know, almost every viewpoint. The reason why it's popular is because it's got some truth to it and mm-hmm. you know, it may not be the whole thing, but it's got something in there. So, um, yeah. and the other thing is, uh, recognizing that we could be wrong. Uh, this is really difficult for, especially uh, fundamentalist Christians mm-hmm. and, pr- and probably a lot of uh, other people on the, on let's say the other, uh, side of the continuum, uh, is, it's like we always want to say, "Oh, I figured it all out. I've got it all. I, I, I know. I, I, I've arrived. I figured it all out, mm-hmm. uh, right?" And, and you can tell when you get into conversations with people like that on either yeah. side. And uh, I always like to say, um, "Well, um, you know, I could be wrong. Um, you know, I think this is true based on my research, but I could be." And it's kind of like, a, I don't know, I hope, hopefully it gets people to think. You yeah. Know, because like a lot of times people will go, no, no, I can't be wrong. Yeah, no, no, this yeah. is, I've already figured it out. You know, right. <laughs> right. Or they're like, realize, oh, I'm trying, <laughs> what I'm trying to say. It's like, oh, well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Not sure what to yeah. say. But that's a really good point because it, we have to be able to be willing to do that. This guy, David Smith, said last a few weeks ago, he said, you know what? Uh, not, er- no one has absolutely everything right about these issues no one in the whole world 
right? right. We just don't, we have things wrong about the way we view the world and spirituality. Mm-hmm. We just don't know what they are yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, then we learn and we grow and then we find out, okay, I was wrong about that part. Right. Yes. And then it kind of, it can also work that you grow and you can, it confirms what you think. It's like, this is even stronger than I thought. And that's yes. good too. So right. it's just, yeah. it's just a way of saying, okay, you know, it, I love the, what, what you said, people need to want to genuinely know what is true and not yeah. just, you know, be always right. That's a, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know, so, it's, uh, it's interesting because um, not just, I mean, thinking about, um, the implications and kind of that inner work that requires so much humility and this real genuine desire and, and how our brain is wired to want to keep going to, usually it's to the first thing we were taught. That tends to be what the, the, the brain wants to go to. The first thing we were told is true is what our brain wants to yeah, run. Yeah, that's right, right. And, right. Um, but also our brain wants us to stay the same because our social groups will stay the same. Yes, it's totally so there's it's this whole change, sociological right? aspect that it's so mm-hmm. fascinating because changing your mind about something comes with a level of discomfort socially as well. It can in many, many places. Right. So um, the other area that you talked about was binary versus holistic thinking. Yeah. Well, how do you define those? Yeah. So again, it's really, it's all tied in together. But um, when we talk about binary thinking, we tend to see everything with two choices. It's right or it's wrong. And of course I'm right and everyone else is wrong. It's, you know, yes or no, good or bad, black or white and, and so on. Whereas if we can move more towards a holistic thinking, um, then we're, instead of you know, right, wrong, black, white. It's like we're moving towards something. We're moving forward. We're moving a step closer to truth. And rather than black and white, there's more grays. There's, um, it's kind of an experiment. Like we don't know exactly where we're going or what the outcome will be, um, but we want to learn. And so it's this constant learning journey going forward, wanting to get all the voices around the table. Um, hear a variety of perspectives rather than say it's this or this to know there are many complexities to most things in life and most issues Um, you know wanting to dive into and dig into those complexities and realizing oh like in terms of politics you know Republicans have some good ideas here. Um, Democrats have some good ideas here. Maybe if we could merge those ideas mm-hmm. in complicated ways, we might come up with, you know, a great solution on this issue. Or, um, but we can't do that because we've, because of all of these things, because of tribalism, because of, you know, this binary thinking and confirmation bias. It's interesting. I, when I'm doing my training, I often. Um, I draw this picture of a table, a long table, and Republicans are on one side, are are members of Congress, and Democrats are on the other side, and they're going to write a law about, say, the economy. And so they bring in the top economists, and they come in and they put all the information on the table. And Republicans will pick up the bits of information that affirm what they already believe to be true. Mm 
and ignore everything else that's been laid mm -hmm. out and democrats yeah. do the same mm -hmm. and we can't we have this inability to look at all of the information and say now what is the best let's look at um poverty let's let's bring the voices to the table who are um who are suffering under some of these uh, systemic injustices and let's you know let's let's consider all these different angles and perspectives and maybe there's more of a holistic way to think about this and approach this rather than just it's this or this because when you go this or this then you're ignoring a whole bunch of information right right that's true so what about when you know, so oftentimes people say you know oh the way you're talking it sounds like you know you believe everything is relative there there is such a thing as right and wrong and you know good and evil and and if you're if everything is relative then then you know we have no i don't know guideposts we have nothing to to guide us along the journey you know how do you respond to that yeah i mean i, I would say there's absolutely some guiding um principles that that guide us one being the well-being of people for me that's that's one of the biggest when i for example if i'm looking at politics that's that's the number one thing what is the most beneficial to the most people who is being left behind and we have to raise those voices and bring them to the table so if jesus is my example um which he is the primary example for me the one i you know, try to allow the spirit of his teachings to inform the way that I move on this earth, um, then I have to look at love of neighbor, love of enemy. I have to look at what it lifts up the, those who are um, suf suffering and struggling and oppressed. Um, and so you, maybe I can't say this has to be the law boom, this is the law of the land that's going to fix this because I don't think it works like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I came to the same conclusion. I mean, when you, when it, when it, what it boils down to is, is um, love for other people and anything that harms other people is not right. And anything that is, you know, helps or, you know, is for the well-being of people uh, and, and in an equal way uh, is good, is right. So, and, and so those, are, those can be guideposts, but, but as far as, you know, like, you know, some of the, the rules and, you know, uh, the, the uh, details, they can be relative depending on the situation and, yeah, you know, yeah. all kinds of different things, right? You know? Right. Yeah. So um, that's, that's very interesting. You talked about, you know, uh, politics a lot uh mm -hmm. have you had any uh, uh success helping people go from binary to to holistic thinking and in, in politics or spirituality yeah absolutely um one of the most i think effective and impactful things for people has just been becoming aware of these realities because mm -hmm. they're not something you think about unless you have intentionally gone down some path to find them. You know, if, if I'm just living my life and I'm always told this is right, this is right, this is wrong, this is wrong. Um, I just am not thinking about the social realities. I'm not thinking about what's going on in my brain. I'm not thinking about 
um, psychological realities that are all leading me to believe this thing. Yeah, right. You don't. And think so, about just it, right? becoming aware of all the different realities, mm-hmm. um, it's it's incredibly eye opening for people. And um, and you know, you you mentioned earlier sometimes people need kind of an experience or there's something that they they have to yeah. go through or something see. emotional or something yeah. usually yeah and i i was thinking about um i took a a group of students down south um oh a few years ago and um to do a black history trip mm-hmm. at slavery talking about um, the Civil War and the period of Reconstruction and uh, the Civil Rights Movement and and um, and and so I had these seventh and eighth graders and um, parents came along as well. Some who were kind of like, "Well, what's my kid going to get on this trip? Mm-hmm. I want to make sure it's not some liberal thing." Well, <laughs> I didn't have to say anything on this trip. Obviously, I can't speak to the black experience, so in all the different locations, we heard the stories of black people and what their experience was. We saw what they went through, through pictures, through uh, videos. Um, we met you know, some of the, um, those who were involved in the civil rights movement and we talked to them and, and it was so transformative. Um, people that had never thought about race because we live in such a white West Michigan um, area completely just opened wide their thinking about the ways that black people in this country and people of color have been oppressed systemically for a long time. But it was this experience that cracked the door open and suddenly got them thinking about Black Lives Matter and things going on today that before they just brushed off like, oh, just that's liberal agenda. Right. Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, we have to find those experiences. And I think story can really speak into that sometimes. Yeah. Story and, and, uh, right. And that's an example of an emotional experience. I mean, they heard, they heard the story and they heard it from, you know, people who real had real life experiences and they're probably, you know, something emotional is going on when they're hearing these stories and go, Oh, wow. I never thought of about, about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, you had mentioned, uh, you know, like when you when we have uh, discourse, um, sometimes you're not quite sure if you should call it, you know, like you're promoting civil discourse because mm-hmm. we get in, you know, there's some very controversial and very important issues that uh, people disagree about. Yeah. And, and, it sounds like you're saying you can have even have an animated conversation. You can be angry. You can, you know, be challenging, but also, but at the same time, balance that with understanding without putting down the other person and be respectful. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do you balance yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, in general, I think there are people in this country who um, have every right to come, come out angry. Um, Mm -hmm. And we can look at current events, right, as an example. Um, When Black men especially, but women as well, are being gunned down in the streets um, 
we can ask, we, we can hear the pain of mothers. Mothers have a right to be angry. Black people have a right to be angry. And I, as a person of faith, better be angry. Mm-hmm. Right. right? There, I mean, I guess we call it righteous anger, mm-hmm. right? right. In, the, in the church ways called that righteous anger. But um, civil discourse, that term and why I'm trying to get away from that word civil is because it civil means politeness essentially mm, so polite right. conversations yeah but i think we need to get into the hard conversations we need to really have real conversations and go deeper um and so civil dialogue civil discourse sort of implies um just a politeness we don't want to upset anyone we don't want to get anyone angry and that term civil discourse is usually used by um, the oppressor, not the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, if someone comes angry at me because I've done wrong to them, mm-hmm. it's easy for me to say, "Hey, hey, keep it civil." Like, yeah, right. It's, it's a way of defending like, yourself. Like, oh well, because yeah. you're angry, then you know you must be wrong, or you know, I, I right. count what you're saying, or something like that. Right. Like, you're not being yeah, civil. and. Yeah. And so there, there is a level of, right, there can be, like, you go on social media. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know, what, what kind of things people say to each other on social media, often people they've never met, um, are terrible. And, uh, and so it's easy to say, hey, let's, can we have civil discourse? Like, it's just an easy kind of flippant thing. And, and a lot of us who use that term are rethinking it. Um, because we've kind of thought of it in those contexts, but we haven't thought about how it makes um, oppressed people feel when we say, you right, know, yeah. keep it civil. Um, so, but I think there's a, there's a place for keeping it um, when you're angry and when you have emotions uh, of not making it like attacking people personally. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, a, you yeah. know, when you make it a personal attack on someone, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there may be a place for that, I, I, this is one of the struggles I have where you draw the line. Yeah, um, really one time I just, I put something up on Facebook and, and it was something about, you know, like I was critiquing what Trump had done, done or something. Someone just comes back and says, you know, camp, you're disgusting. <laughs> That's all they yeah. say. <laughs> rather <laughs> than, rather than, a, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we have, um, it's interesting because with Brian running for Congress, um, we're really seeing this on a whole new level. Um, oh, right. Sometimes it's terrifying. Um, there, there's, uh, a, there's, well, you know, with the, the coronavirus, um, our governor kind of shut things down um, in the state to prevent the spread. And there was an armed group that went to the Capitol and walked in with their big guns, you know, and um, talking. Yeah, about, right. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about uh, their rights were being taken right. away. And there yeah, were a yeah. lot of peaceful um, demonstrators as well, of course, right. in the Capitol. But um, this, this group uh, on Facebook got started of people who oppose the governor's stay at home. Yeah, right, orders. right. And yeah. someone posted a picture of Brian with the governor, my husband with the governor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just said, like, I bet this guy 
isn't going to join our group or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And all these people who've never met us, who don't live in our district, who don't know anything about us, who don't know Brian's views on Mm -hmm. politics, Mm -hmm. um, made the most awful comments. I mean, it eventually got taken down, like things they were going to do to me, things they were going to do to his daughter, things they're going to do to the kids. Um, oh and, my and, what's the, and what's their address? Who knows where they live? You know, yeah. Their so there's an, a personal attack yeah. on someone. And That's really weird. And they've yeah. never talked to us. They right. haven't been on his website. Clearly, they don't know how much they have in common with him. You know, yeah. it just yeah. was unbelievable yeah. and scary. And I just thought we're at that point of uh, demonization has gone to dehumanization, yes. clearly. And right we're evil we're the enemy and they must destroy us right it was it was just amazing to watch that unfold yeah it it is amazing so then you want to say hey guys how about some civil discourse yeah right 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 (laughs) so i think that's really the challenge is to is to it's the terminology i think i love i love common good communications and the fact that yeah it's okay for people to be be angry but it's maybe the one of the differentiators is is personal attacks and, Mm -hmm. and and still having expressing you know i i'm i recognize your your humanity even though i i strongly disagree with you mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. right and how and somehow communicating that and may, and setting an example so that other people can see it you know because you know that's the way we are we mimic people so if uh if if we're not setting a good example uh then other people aren't gonna you know do it either so right right yeah so that's that's really a fascinating story. Uh, we're running out of time here, but I did want to ask you one more question. You sure. mentioned Brian is running for Congress. What what district mm-hmm. in Michigan is he running? Michigan second congressional second, district. Second congressional district. Yep. And uh, how is that experience going? Um, it must be a very busy time and it's a big change really, for you guys. It's a big change for us. He's um, you know campaigning pretty much full-time and he's pastoring full-time. He is. He's still pastoring. Oh, I thought maybe he would have. Okay. No. So um, he did have another job that he was doing for a while that he dropped that. Um, So Mm -hmm. he's pastoring and campaigning right now. And it's a journey. I'll tell you, Um, you know, it's what you find out quickly is that when you say yes to running for Congress, you are now a full-time fundraiser and yeah. That's another whole conversation, but you know, just right. really, yeah. I knew a, that's that our, a big burden to take on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, right. I knew that our system was corrupt in that in the way that money is influential. Um, I had no idea. I had no idea the extent, and so we're really like that lid is off, and we're we're in it, and we're seeing it, and um, that's uh, it's kind of discouraging, and and it's one of the things that Brian has said. I'm going to Congress to fix this because right, right, we're yeah. not going to advance forward. Yeah, Every right. all our legislation well, has to be funneled through, you know, large corporate right. um, donors and um, all right. that. So it's that part is yucky, but it's been amazing just getting around our district into you know all these little towns that we didn't even know really were there before. Um, meeting people with incredible stories, people doing amazing work that's what's been really the most exciting and, and feeling like there's hope in the people. And if we can oh, get good. those voices to Washington, the yeah. people's voices, then um, really amazing things are possible. I think that's true. 
Well, that, um, I really admire Brian for stepping out and you, you for uh, supporting him. And it's a, certainly a worthy cause. Uh, uh, I wish you guys uh, luck. I'm, I'm supporting you, <laughs> even though I don't live in Michigan. Uh, oh, thank you. I, uh, I definitely want to um, uh, promote his, I, 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 uh, I, I I think he would make a great congressman and uh, mm -hmm. I really do hope he wins. So um, we've run out of time, but I want to thank you for coming on the spiritual brew yeah. pub and you've really given us some really good things to think about. Uh, and uh, along the lines of common good communications. And uh, I'm going to go back and listen to this again and share it with people. Uh, this is really good. And uh I wish you good luck with your workshops. Um, are you, is there a place to go to, to, to sign up for your workshops or? Uh... Um, so I'm kind of in the process right now of creating a website with a couple colleagues, a couple people who've been doing similar work. We're going to kind of maybe merge it all together um, and put something out there. So it's not ready yet, um, but it's hopefully that will be coming down the road. Okay. Well, and you also have a book. It's uh, uh, Cracking the Pot, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And you can find that on Amazon. So mm -hmm. uh, once you get your website, I'll let me know. I'll promote it on mine and on my I podcast will. and we get some people to sign up for your workshops. That sounds Fantastic. great. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you, Michael. Okay. So thanks everyone for joining us today. Uh, we're going to sign off and we'll see you next time uh, on the Spiritual Brew Pub. Enjoy responsibly. The Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey and helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down Share your true thoughts about your journey and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment.